Good morning and welcome everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 or 88. Right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are. Positively different radio in the morning. You're with the double L team, La Land. Lawson. Lawson. How are you this morning? Oh, just really sad. Oh, really? Yeah. What happened? I was riding into town yesterday and oh. my bike blew up. <gasps> <laughs> and I no. was really bummed. I was like, I got my dad to pick me up with the trailer, took the bike home, and it just, I literally, I, you know, clicked it in neutral, wheeled it into the shed, shut the shed door, and I was like, I'm dealing with that later because I was really just. Bummed, and I went up to my room, and I went to sleep at, like, 5 p.m. and woke up this morning. You know, I was just really down. I was like, that is so... Lame. Um, luckily, you know, I've got... Okay, so send Lawson some condolences this morning. <laughs> i got plans to fix it. I, you know, I kind of know what's wrong. I know what happened. I know I need to rebuild it. I have, you know, I know what I need to do, but I was just like, this is terrible. Like, I was just like, this is the worst, and then just walked away. So I don't... I don't but I don't want to... Let's leave it there. Let's leave it there. Look, the bike block. Who cares? Who cares? Send send I'm send blessed. in your condolences for Lawson this morning because I, ha- I have breathing. a car. I have a car, so I just drove my car in this morning, and it was good. And you know, here at the office on Fridays, casual Fridays, so I'm wearing like slippers and shorts, shorts, and it's just dude living my best life. I'm wearing steel caps. <laughs> Shell's dressed up to the nines. <laughs> yeah, she she's showing it. She always shows us that. Yes. Good thing this isn't TV. Right? <laughs> <laughs> you can't see us most mornings. Because, <laughs> yeah, like, I'm, like, always just, like, fresh out of the shower, like, half wet hair. Like, it's good stuff. Yeah, send send uh, send Lawson flowers and sympathy cards this morning. <laughs> he needs it. Let's this pray for this lad. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. There you go. Very creative individual, Clifford Goldstein. Mm. Let's have some pr- some some positively different news here this morning. Positively different news. So all of the nominations for Australian of the Year are coming out at the moment, if, okay. you, if you didn't know. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, New South Wales, well, in classic New South Wales fashion, uh, we are the last to put in our entries, so they're not in yet. But I was having a look at this. So there's time. So there's, there's time. To nominate me. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Lyle, hi- highlight. Uh, d- shoots guns sometimes <laughs> and drives a full drive and speaks on radio. <laughs> wow, it's, that's a really impressive resume. Um, but yeah, some of the nominations are coming out from the different states. And I was looking at the Queensland nominations today and I wanted to just highlight some of these people because I really like They've reading done some positively these, different things. They've done fantastically positively different things. Like Good news. really, really amazing. And I feel like a common thread that I've seen through a lot of these is a particularly in the kind of mainline Australian of the Year category. There's a few different categories. There's Senior Australian of the Year, Young Australian of the Year, Local Australian of the Year. Um, but the mainline category has some incredible stories that have led to incredible things, um, but also quite tragic as well, particularly of the kind of headlining nominees here, Sue and Lloyd Clark. Now, these people are just epic, like reading about them. Essentially, well, 
they experienced something quite tragic, and that was the loss of their daughter, Hannah Clark, as, along with their grandchildren, Aaliyah, um, Leana, and Trey Clark, mm. were all lost in a domestic violence um, situation. Yes. Um, you know, at the hands mm-hmm. of, the, the story. of the perpetrator. You know, t- like, heartbreaking, mm-hmm. tragic story. Mm-hmm. Um, and I could imagine, like, uh, you know, the family of, of those guys just being absolutely, you know, devastated. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. like this is, especially for these parents, like, they've lost their, their daughter, their grandchildren. Like, that is awful. But what have they done with this situation? They have started a foundation called Small Steps for Henna to bid to educate Australians on the danger of coercive control and domestic violence. Um, their efforts have led to Queensland's Women's Safety and Justice Task Force and changed the national debate around coercive control so they've turned this somehow they've mastered the strength to turn this into a massive positive um and they are you know funded by the state to go around and to educate people on domestic violence on how to deal with these issues and to get through it see i don't know how if if that something like that happened to me i don't know how i would be able to even function as a human being Mm let alone go out and do something amazingly positive like that, you know, turn such tragedy into something positive. And, Mm. you know, people fall into depression over these kind of things and, um, you know, into really terrible circumstances. But this is somebody who's going to – this is probably the best healing that a person can get. Totally. I, it, it is it is powerful, and I dude. But this is a really common thread that is running through some of these no- nominees. We also have Melissa McGinnis, who um, was also struck with deep personal tragedy as her son, along with her son's four other friends in a car, um, sped off the road and all passed away. You know, had a massive road accident. Um, I, I believe it was believed that they were speeding at the time, and so she has taken it upon herself to start the You Choose Youth Road Safety Program, um, which is touring school to school, you know, aimed at people just getting their license, 16, 17-year-olds, um, going school to school, uh, educating, um, you know, youths on the 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 positives of road safety um, and, you know, preventing youth road trauma. So, again, like heavy personal tragedy, heavy loss that has been turned into something really, really incredible. And over the last four years that it's been running, they have gone to a ton of different schools, not only throughout Queensland, even though they're a Queensland-based foundation, but, you know, they've done a bit of a tour, you know, of the East Coast up and down um, and doing incredible things, again, in the face of massive tragedy um we also have annette whitaker who is a um a member of a long and the organizer of a long-running um patient support group for those with pulmonary hypertension in australia so her big thing is advocating for you know different medicines and researchers research to be approved to come into because hypertension is a massive issue that affects a lot of people but also um providing education on how to prevent hypertension because it is a you know for the most part a preventable disease um that people can overcome and so she's doing epic work like as herself she is struggling with this disease um and but then doing amazing education work um and support work for people who are also struggling um with hypertension pulmonary hypertension as well um and the final nominee from queensland in the young australian uh, sorry not the young australian australian of the year category in the in the mainline category um 
is Norm McGillaray. We've got we've got a bit of a trend here of people with very Irish last names. Uh, <laughs> Norm McGillaray. Um, this is really epic. So he started a, a, a foundation called Bed Down that goes all around, you know, um, Queensland. So he, running, you know, pop-up accommodation showers and food in empty car parks to support, you know, homeless, the homeless population. I think of which Queensland, you know, rivals New South Wales with having the biggest homeless population Mm. in Australia. Mm. Um, I I know that I think it's across Australia. We have about 120,000 homeless people um, and you would find the majority of those in the the East Coast states. Yes, if you're going to be, well, if you're going to not choose, but if you're going to be homeless, you're better off, if you can, to be in Queensland or New South Wales, but particularly Queensland because... Mm. You know, the weather is warmer. The weather it's is really warmer. That's simple. That simple. And, and because of that reality, like, these guys have recognized that and they, you know, this Bed Down Foundation going around doing amazing work supporting them, but also hooking them up with local shelters and local programs, you know, because a lot of homelessness is, is led to by, you know, obviously, um, financial troubles, but, you know, uh, mental health problems, drug addiction, whatever it may be. So getting homeless people connected as well with social services that can help them. So just reading through this, I'm just so inspired. Like, wow, people are making an amazing, positive difference in our world. And I feel like they definitely should be recognized. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. All right, let's talk about some more serious news here this morning. And there is this kind of a war that is heating up in the United States. And so we have to understand a little bit about the U.S. education system to understand how this works. Uh, obviously, they have, they have a public school system, and as a part of their public school system, they have um, parents have a right to be able to attend school board meetings mm-hmm. and to have three minutes to have their say at every school board meeting. And as a result of uh, science being generally thrown out of schools and replaced with ideology and feelings, Mm. there has been a movement right across the United States to... um, to try and stop parents from being able to have their three minutes of say. Um, And there's been a movement right across the United States where parents have been turning up and having their say. And it's been particularly in relationship to radical gender ideology being taught in schools and parents saying, you know, we don't want our children to be in those classrooms. You've got right here in New South Wales, you've got Mark Latham, who's got uh, legislation before the New South Wales government, uh, giving parents, if it passes through, that will give parents the right to pull their children out of those classes that are teaching, you know, things like radical gender ideology and so forth because it's unnecessary to the child's education. The child totally. needs to learn how to read, how to write, how to do mathematics, how to research so they can discover things for themselves rather than having gender ideology shoved down their throats. Oh, that's such a good point, Law. That's like, that's an epic point you just made. Like, why? Yeah. Anyways, there are there are, and and this is one of the reasons why, when it comes to religious classes in public schools, you can opt in or opt out. Yes. Yeah, my kids went to a public school for a while, and they could have the Protestant class, they could have the Catholic class, or they could opt out. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when you're going to teach ideology, yes, make it make it something that is uh, that the parents have to choose and have to sign up for. And a lot of parents are like, no, we don't want this uh, shoved down our throat. Well, the National uh, National Schools Boards Association (NSBA). Uh, recently wrote to the wrote to uh, President Biden asking for federal protection laws to provide federal protection for uh, teachers and you know um, uh, headmasters and so forth uh, 
that they would not be able to come under attack from parents who were upset about what was being uh, taught in the classroom. In other words, uh, we're not going to let parents have their say anymore. What we're going to do is we're going to protect the teachers because the teachers know best, because they're the ones who are educated to train children and parents are not. Mm -hmm. So they know better how to train your children than what you do as a parent. And in the letter that they wrote to Biden, they actually labelled parents who object to radical gender ideology being taught in their schools as domestic terrorists. <laughs> I'm serious. Now they they, they were they, that created a massive backlash and just about you know almost like civil war, um, not quite, but. It uh, so then they came out and apologised for that, but you know the apology is a little bit, a little bit, a little bit lame once the words have already been put in print. Yeah, like uh, that doesn't stop them believing that. That no, of course not. Like it's not like a they weren't joking when they said that. It wasn't like you know, oh sorry, I went too far with a joke or something. No, like, <laughs> like, like you are seriously labeling a parent as a domestic terrorist. Like y- you still think that whether you apologize or not. That's right. And so there's a new movement that has started up, and it's basically the mama bears are coming out. So mums from America, watch out. They are coming. Dude, uh, they, that's they, epic, bro. You do never want to stir up a mama bear, and they're... Uh, they're, they're <laughs> <laughs> the rise of the Karens. <laughs> yeah. But I think... A mother and her sense. children? Yeah, wow. Yes. So uh, almost overnight, they've started a movement that is over half a million mums across the United States. Wow. And they just held a protest outside the uh, NSBA uh, headquarters in Virginia. And uh, spokesperson for it, uh, what was her name here, Kimberly Fletcher, she says, we want to make it clear that we are mothers and when you mess with our kids, you have crossed a line that you don't want to cross. We have mothers representing eight different states gathered here today, she says. This was on Wednesday. Um, she says, we will, we will not co-parent with the government. Mm. Parents' rights are fundamental and supreme. My child, my choice. We have a fundamental right to teach, raise, educate, and nurture our children, and that fundamental right allows us within the Constitution, our constitutionally protected right, to go into a school board, a school district, meet with a principal, and express our concerns when our children are being put in danger medically, physically, mentally, socially, educationally. We're going to step up, we're going to speak out when that happens. And what you've got taking place here in America and in Australia right now is that over the last several decades we have seen uh, very strong legislation come in to protect children from abuse, particularly sexual abuse, Mm. because we've noted, and this this has been particularly focused at institutions uh, such as schools, because we have noticed that pedophiles target schools because it gives them access. That's right. Now what we're seeing is that the pedophiles who target schools have evolved Mm -hmm. because their old tactics of being able to work behind the scenes and abuse children has been taken away, and so they haven't stopped. Their desires haven't disappeared. They've now just evolved with the legislation so that now they're actually abusing children in the classroom. And instead of kids, you know, going to school and learning, you know, the three R's, reading, writing and arithmetic, uh, and, you know, learning how to think for themselves, they're like, no, let's get you, you know, let's take this group of primary school students into a classroom and let's talk to them about sex. Mm. 
And this is basically just pedophiles getting their jollies talking to kids about sex. This is this is this is grooming in the curriculum. Yeah. They've put they've placed these kids should be playing with Legos. Because the thing They're is, primary like, school kids. Like, yeah. <laughs> this is so gross. I hate talking about this. It is the worst <laughs> thing ever. And it is taking place sadly around the world. Um, of course, there was a massive uh, backlash in the uh, Washington Post where the Washington Post came out and said that uh, parents should have nothing to do with uh, curriculum. It's not their right to talk about curriculum. Leave it to the experts. Uh, let us educate your children. It's not your place to be educating your children. Now more than ever before, it is time for us to consider where possible homeschooling our children. You know, it's not available for everyone. I get that, but uh, God has given us these children. They are a gift from God, and God has given us the responsibility of educating these children for the glory and honor and honor of God, and remembering that the primary purpose of education is redemption. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM, positively different. The interview of the day. Joining us on the phone is our resident historian, Eliza Southwell. Eliza, welcome to the show. Good morning, Mike. Great to be here. Eliza, we've been talking this past year about uh, great Australians, influential Australians who have uh, made a major impact on uh, on Australia and we've looked at their faith. Uh, Who is it that we're talking about this morning? Today we're talking about someone who, when I say his name, you'll think, hmm, he's not Australian. His name was... Pastor August Ludwig Christian Carvel, or as we might know him in Australia, Pastor Carvel. Yeah, we just call him August Carvel. Right, yeah. <laughs> and so he, uh, he was born and raised in Prussia. Um, Germany d- didn't exist at that time. It was all the German states um, were their own kingdoms. But he um founded the Lutheran Church in Australia under very interesting circumstances. So, so, the, so the part of had for a wild ride. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So the, but the part of Prussia that he comes from is uh what is, is in in Poland now, isn't it? Yes, that's right. That's right. So after World War 1, a lot of the German Empire was carved up and given to Poland and Czechoslovakia and and so on. Um but yes, he was from Prussia. Okay, so a wild ride. Tell us all about the history of this particular individual here. And, uh, all right. Yes. All right. So August Carvel was, he was a pastor. He was trained as a Lutheran minister. And um, he, in 1822, the king of Prussia had a great idea. He thought, well, the king was Catholic. His name was um, Frederick William III. Frederick William III was was, sorry, not Catholic, Calvinist. He was Reformed. He was like Presbyterian. He was Calvinist. But most of his people were um, Lutheran. And so he thought, well, let's be a bit ecumenical here. And he thought, well, we're not so very different, are we? And so he combined the liturgies of the uh, Reformed Church, the Calvinist Church, with the Presbyterian liturgies and doctrines. And so he created a new liturgy, a new book of common prayer, um, and a common agenda. And so that wasn't very popular 
So you've got um, a basically, basically, basically a head of state, a government stepping in and deciding on doctrine. That's right. Well, it was for the good of the people. <laughs> it was the, the good of the people who would bring yes. people together, surely. And so he decided, well, if it's not popular enough on its own merit, I need to persuade people of how good this really is. And so in 1822, he directed all Protestant congregations to use only the, this newly formulated liturgy to worship. Um, and so he, he mandated this new evangelical church. And the church in Germany is still called the evangelical church. Now, what happened to Lutheran pastors and Calvinist pastors who didn't want to change? Well, they lost their preaching licenses. And so they were no longer allowed to be pastors. They were no longer allowed to preach in churches. And their congregations, often you ended up with um, pastors preaching in the fields or in the woods, um, away from the prying eye of government. And so we assume that August Cavill is just one of these, uh, one, one of this particular group here that objects to uh, the head of state stepping in and changing the doctrine of the churches, creating a new church essentially, and he's uh, an objector to it, so he just runs off to Australia? Is that kind of what happens? Pretty much, pretty much. So he looked into um, um, migrating to Russia, he looked into migrating to the US, but um, migration was, was just tightening up. Um, in the 19th century. And so he travelled to England instead to look into migrating to Australia. Now, Australia was a very new, or New South Wales was a very new colony at the time. Um, it would have been Pastor Carvel's last option. Um, but the more time he spent looking around for options, the more his congregation would suffer and would disintegrate and be without a pastor and without an organised church to um, to bring them together. And so he thought, okay, fine. <laughs> I'll, I'll take my chances in South Australia. And so he talked to the chairman of the South Australian company and he said, yep, well, hmm, yeah, I suppose you can have some land. Now, these, um, by this time, um, the Lutheran members of his church were, um, you know, they were facing immigration. They could only bring um, what little they had. And so they really came to Australia penniless most of the time. Um, and so they, um, the first group arrived in South Australia in uh, 1837. And this is like, what, two, three years after South Australia has actually kind of even been formed as a, uh, as a thing? <laughs> right, right. Um, and it's 15 years after all their pastors lost their licenses. Yeah, so wow. it's a long time to be, you know, preaching in the fields, rain, hail or shine. Um, and yet they did it. And they came to Australia. They found a place of religious sanctuary, really. You know, we think of America as the land of the free and the land of religious freedom. But for these old Lutherans, it was South Australia. And so they came to Adelaide. They moved um, east from Adelaide into uh, there's the a very popular um, tourist destination now 
in the town of Handos, where a lot of them moved into that area in the Barossa Valley. They also moved uh, further into western Victoria, um, but they also came up to Brisbane. And so you might know if you come from those regions um, or if you've been in those regions that there are a lot of uh, German names for towns and German surnames of people and uh you might you might be one of those descendants yourself. It's fascinating because, you know, for a long time I think we've been very familiar with, you know, I mean I grew up in, in, in Tasmania and there were some German mm-hmm. towns and German settlements in Tasmania. Uh, we were very familiar with the history of, you know, the German influence in Australia and how that, mm. um, you know, they came to Australia and, and, and built these settlements, you know, particularly the Barossa Valley in South Australia is mm. just epically famous for its German influence. But I had no idea that this was Germans who were fleeing from state-based persecution. I had, mm. I, I, until you mentioned this particular name and I started to look into this individual, I had no idea that that was the case, that it was all about religious liberty and freedom that they were here. Mm. It's not a well-known, um, it was, it, well, it started off as quite a small group, but these German old believers gained quite a reputation for being hard workers and being honest folk. And I suppose that's in contrast to the convicts that came over and before before these Germans came over, um, the Australian colonies were very much dominated by English and Irish um, and other people from around the British Empire. There were a lot of Indians here as well. Um, but then, you know, the way the way I first heard about this was actually from my own family history. Um, so my uh, my grandfather's family are from one of the groups that came to South Australia. Um, and so, you know, we, we don't tend to think about this. Um, I think part of the reason that we've tried to forget this as a nation is because of what happened during World War I. Um, this isn't a pleasant chapter in Australia's history, but during World War I, obviously Australia, Australia with the British Empire was fighting Germany. And so the concern was, well, we have all these German people. They speak German. They know people in Germany. Um, they came to Australia 80 years ago. How do we know that they're true to Australia? They're loyal. And, well, they decided, well, just in case we'd better um, round them up into internment camps. And we won't be cruel to them, but they'll just live in these areas and we'll know where they are and we'll know that they're not you know, rustling up um, dissent in Australia. And so after the war, a lot of those Germans were sent back to Germany, even though they were born and raised in Australia. Um, yeah, they, they were, um, it's really quite a, yeah, it's, 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 a period in which, it's a period in which yeah, it's a period in which we tried to separate ourselves from any kind of German heritage at all. I know that you know uh, mm-hmm. Bismarck in South Australia, of course. I'm sorry, in Tasmania was mm-hmm. renamed to Collinsvale, mm-hmm. and of course, by yeah. the time I was a young person, that history was well known. But it wasn't mm-hmm. like they were ever going to change that back again. You know, it's it's a dark it's a dark part right. of our history that we don't like to think about. Right, and people change their names. Um, people change their names from. Um, my grandfather was Charles, was Karl Ludwig, and he changed his name to Karl Louis um, because it sounded less German. Many people changed their surnames. 
um, you have many towns are called Germantown, but um, there's there's one town near the South Australian and Victorian border changed its name from Germantown to Watertown um, because it was you know, more convenient at the time. And so most most Germans in Australia um, escaped the intern um, internment camps. They put their heads down and didn't make trouble. But if you're an outspoken pastor or church elder, um, or if your church was very big, um, well, maybe you would pose a threat and maybe someone would spread a rumor and maybe you would end up in an internment camp with your family um, and never come back to your town again. So it was it was a period of great desperation, um, but that doesn't excuse what happened. You talk about these German people being hardworking people and contributing, you know, a tremendous amount to the, uh, you know, the economy and the development of Australia and so forth. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I find fascinating about the history of the Germans and the Lutherans is their missionary endeavours. And so, you know, many churches came to Australia and they looked at the opportunity for missionaries as being in the South Pacific. And so they would base here in Australia. Mm-hmm. You know, even our church did this. We based here in Australia and sent missionaries right through the South Pacific, you know, Papua New Guinea, mm-hmm. Solomon Islands, Fiji, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas the Germans, when they came here, they said, we have a mission field right here in our backyard. Right. And if you go up to Alice yeah. Springs, um, what's that name of that town outside of Alice Springs there, which is just a massive German settlement, which was built as a missionary center. It was a, it That's was right. effectively an opportunity. They said, we have, why would we send people to the South Pacific when there are, you know, people who need to know Jesus? right here in our backyard that have never mm-hmm. heard about him. And, you know, you go and visit that centre and it's a big institution that they've built out there <laughs> back in the day. when you know, And back then, you know, to travel to Alice Springs, you know, in the 1800s, that was another world. Yes, yes. Well, and, and the um, German pastors were some of the first, and German missionaries were some of the first uh, Europeans to settle in Gippsland in southern Victoria. And um, also the Ebenezer Mission up near um, Swan Hill in the Wimmera in Victoria. Um, I think one of the reasons that Lutheran missionaries were handed them some of their English counterparts with Indigenous people in Australia is because the the history of religious freedom is their own history. And when it came to... Um, persuading people of the gospel that indigenous people had never heard the gospel before. Um, There was no reason to be heavy handed. In fact, that would be something that would be abhorrent to them. And so, yeah, we we do see um, several very successful uh, um, missions run by Lutheran missionaries in Australia. And they weren't successful because they, you know, drilled the indigenous people in what to believe and, and they um, were manipulative, but they were successful because they were honest and they were um, open-handed and said, look, this is what we believe. Um, we'll teach you some skills that you need to compete with all the um, uh, European settlers coming in. And with those skills, you can choose what you will. Um yeah. So we would have would have had a lower level of yeah you know, because some of those early missions uh, tended to be a bit abusive in some ways and used to you know mm. Europeanize overly Europeanize, 
but because of their right. foundation in religious liberty, um, it would explain some of the success that they had. You know, the, um, yeah. In, in, in understanding how people thought and giving people the freedom to uh, think for themselves. Eliza, mm. Ma- Eliza Southwell, I should say, um, we do appreciate your time here and another little insight into Australian history and religious liberty in this country that I kind of never knew about before. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.